Uh, as you get settled in, you can go ahead. We're going to be in Colossians 3. We're going to finish up, uh, well, a portion of Colossians 3. We'll finish the rest and then the end of Colossians 4 next week. But we are going to continue looking at this call to practical to the practical everyday putting on of the new self so that we might display the gospel in word and deed to the world around us. What Again, what we've seen, I shared it last week, Paul has kind of made this transition where he said, hey, uh, again, this is who Christ is. And this is the good news of who Christ is. Now he's saying because of who Christ is, this is how we are to live. And so two weeks ago, we saw that we are first to seek Christ because he is enough and nothing else matters. But not only to see Christ, we are to set our minds upon Christ because he changes lives and what he brings hope. And then Paul shares that we are to put to death or we are to put off the old self. And specifically what he walked into is we are to put off uh, sexual sin and abusive attitudes and speech towards others. So Paul's kind of beginning the same like, hey, uh, you know, if putting off the old self, you are to put on the new self. And so um, he began, we, we saw last week with these identity statements. So he said, hey, if you're putting something off and then you're going to, uh, you know, you, you don't just, you know, what I love about the gospel is that it isn't just, hey, turn from your sin. It's actually live a totally different life, right? So we repent, we put off the old self, we then put on, and I love what we put on, it says we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ, and then we are then sent out to live lives for the glory of God, proclaiming His Word, the good news of His Word, uh, to others. And so he begins with these identity statements last week, and he says, first, you're chosen, you were chosen ones. You, you are holy, you are beloved, and then he says, Put on, therefore, these things. And he starts by calling us to put on these uh, aspects of virtuous living that we saw last week. And, uh, but it's not just virtuous living. It's virtuous living in the context of communal living. So living as the church. And then the last thing he talks about, he says, look, in everything that you do, be it in word or deed, do it to what? Do it under the glory of God. Do it for the Lord. So he calls us to purposeful living. And so today, what Paul's going to continue to do with this call is he's going to, uh, this call to put on is he's going to really start to get into the specifics of how we are to live in light of the gospel when it comes to household dynamics. Now, now two things about this, uh, this putting on before we start. First, for us to get a correct view of how the household is to function, we must sit in the truth that the gospel brings redemption to the way that we view and function in every relationship. You see, in light of the gospel, the gospel transforms you in such a way that you are not the same. Scripture says you are a new creation in Christ. But not only are you not the same, with that, you cannot live the same in context to your relationships. I don't have time to get into it, but we talk about this guy named Disciple Man from time to time. And what Disciple Man reveals to us is in light of the gospel, how that changes all of our relationships. First to God, then to self, then to others in the world around us. You see, you are not the same and therefore cannot live the same in context to relationships. But the second thing as we look, and today we're going to look at the first 
the two of three areas of household living in light of the gospel, we have to remember up front that because of what Christ has done for us, he has, and we saw this last week in Colossians 3 verse 11, he has broken down every discriminatory wall that we have or might try to set up. And so what this means is that when we address each role, we note that each and every one of those roles, each thing we're going to walk through in terms of the household, is distinct according to God's Word, while also presenting the truth that every member involved is of great value, not because of what they bring to the table, but simply because of who they are according to God's Word. You see, we are made in the very image of our Creator. And so we, every person, every member, holds, holds value. You see, these texts, as we walk through them today, they get pretty messy when you don't begin with the biblical foundation that in the eyes of God, all people are of equal value and therefore should be loved and cared for well. When we begin to kind of set a, a bit of a hierarchy on value, man, things go awry real fast. And so today we're going to sit in how the gospel affects two of our closest relational contexts, marriage and parenting. And then next week we're going to look at uh, uh, kind of the employee, employer, he's going to call it slave and master reality before closing out the letter. But let's just go ahead and jump in by looking at what we're called to in light of the gospel when it comes to our marriages. By reading Colossians 3, verses 18 and 19, it says this, Wives, submit to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, and do not be harsh with them. Okay, so again, in light of the intrinsic value of every human being, Paul hones in on the household here with a call for every Christian husband and wife. You see, I believe that this call actually goes all the way back to the garden with Adam and Eve and that our marriages are the way that we live and the way that we live in light of that union. It's one of our greatest gospel proclaimers to the world around us. Right. So God calls Adam and Eve to what? To be fruitful and multiply, which is and we know that that's and we're very good at it here at Center Church, the multiplication of children to display the glory of God. But also we are called as individuals uh, because we've been given this call to live lives. So everything that we do in life, we are called to display the glory of God. Right. And our marriage is included in that. Your marriage, if you're a follower of Jesus, is meant to display the glory of God, even in the midst of its imperfections, even in the midst of the struggles you might have. Uh, man, it is a good thing. It's actually scripture would say is a picture of Christ and what? The church. And so this means that not only is marriage significant for followers of Jesus, but the way that we view our roles and function in them is a matter of great significance. For what was broken relationally at the fall in terms of submission and love has been made new through Christ and is to be used to proclaim the good news of His finished work in our marriages. And so the question becomes... How do we do this? Well, the answer, I mean, Paul, like in two verses, gives a really straightforward answer, right? Like he is very direct and kind of pulls no punches on what this is to look like. But it is one. These verses are things that cause a lot of issues at times in the life of the church because of the way it's been interpreted 
Because of the way on both sides it's been rebelled against and lived out in poor ways by married couples inside the church. But I don't believe it was meant to be this way. I think that's what Paul is calling us to today. He said, hey, man, if you're going to live in light of who Christ is, this is the way you are to live when it comes to your marriages. If you're going to display the gospel in every part of life, it includes your marriage. For just as Christ gave all of himself to us, not withholding anything, but submitted to the Father's will fully because of his great love for us. So we already have the two words, submission and love, that we're about to look at. Husband and wives, in turn, are to give themselves fully to their spouses because they have submitted their lives to the will of the Father first and foremost. But also, they have received His love and grace. You see, when we realize that and we go into marriage with that uh, before us, we are then empowered by the Spirit to see and live out our marriages for the glory of God. Something I tell couples in premarital counseling and even uh, when I do weddings at times, uh, I already told you all I'll do two things. One, I forget to tell people to sit down. Uh, the other thing that I do is I tell them, hey, you know, when I'm talking to them, uh, I say, hey, when, when we talk about marriage, it's not the husband goes in with 50% and the wife goes in 50% and they make 100%. No, it's every day you giving your all. What you're saying in marriage is saying, I'm laying all of myself down. I'm, I'm investing all of myself in this. And so what we see is Paul in verses 18 and 19, he first addresses wives and then he addresses husbands. And he begins with this call to wives and he calls Christian wives to submit to their husbands because it is fitting in the Lord. Now, everybody just breathe for a moment. Because these can be those texts that get, you know, people like they start, you know, they're ready, right? Like, what are we going to do with this? And I've already kind of alluded to it, but I want to tackle submission in terms of what Paul is calling wives to here. Because again, this is a text, and, and I'll admit it has been taken out of context, it has, and it has been displayed in some Christian households in really poor ways. You see, the text, not, not the text, the way we've uh, driven home the text or responded to the text has created baggage and defensiveness when actually... In the bounds of God's word and his grace should empower, encourage, and liberate. Because again, Christ has broken down every discriminatory wall that we might seek to set up. (coughs) Which means that all are equal in identity. But you see, to be equal in identity and form does not mean that you cannot be complementary in function and role. Paul's not bringing forth some type of misogynistic leadership that gives license for the husband to be abusive and domineering over the wife. Guess what? If you see that, call that out. Rather, all he's doing here in talking about the household that's to display the gospel is to present the wife with a beautiful picture of what it looks like to compliment their husband in ways that cause him to flourish for the kingdom of God. Now, now note the kingdom there. It's not so that he might flourish for his kingdom. Or so that he might flourish so that you can get the kingdom, a.k.a. house, whatever it is, the life that you want. No, it's so that he might flourish and, and display the kingdom of God. Another thing about this word submit is it's not the same word that's used later for children and servants. 
when it comes to authority. Actually, what this word submit describes is the voluntary offering of oneself to another in support and love. That, that, that's what Paul's getting at. He's saying, no, that you, as a wife, you would voluntarily submit yourself, offering yourself to another in support and love. Now, again, if you stop there, I don't think you go far enough. Uh, what I mean by not go far enough is because, man, the call for a wife to submit to their husband is actually the call of the gospel submission that Jesus willingly displayed for us by submitting himself fully to the will of the Father. That's what Paul's after here. He's not just making something up so that uh, men can say, hey, I'm, I, 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 yeah, I want to be comfortable and kick my feet up. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, no, actually, when you do this, wives, you are displaying a picture of what Jesus did. Again, Jesus was equal in divinity, but different in role, right? Jesus would go to the Father in prayer and say, if there's another way, let it be so. But then what does he say? He submits, he says, not my will, but your will be done. That's what Paul is talking about here. And so today, wives, how are you submitting to your husbands in the everyday stuff of life? I believe, again, that it's not just the external action. I believe the heart's in view here. And so in terms of that, it shouldn't be begrudging. It should be, again, that willing to offer oneself in support and love. Another thing I would say is, man, one of the ways that this is revealed is how you talk about your husband in public and in private. What are you saying about them? You see, this view of the call to submission and view of Christ should move us away from defensiveness and towards empowered living that leads to gospel flourishing in our marriages. And don't worry, man, I'm about to get to us in a second. You see, it's this type of living that according to Paul, he says, this type of living, living is fitting to the Lord. What that means there is, it's how it was meant to be. And so this leads to the second half of the verse, which is a call for husbands to love their wives and to not be harsh with them. What we find here is the same call that Paul presents to the church in Ephesus in Ephesians 5, where he says, uh, he calls husbands, he says, love your wives in the same manner and with the same intensity that Christ loved the church. So how much did Christ love the church? Fully, with all of himself, he gave his life. And so Paul is not talking about some menial, apathetic label of love here in the text. No, he's going right at the heart of every husband. For as we understand that the way we, for as we understand the way we've been loved by God through Christ, what that does is that leads or should lead to living lives marked by. Deep and sacrificial love for our wives. So husband, follower of Jesus, if you are a follower of Jesus today, how are you currently loving your wife in deep and sacrificial ways? And and, and when you talk about love, this is not the the word for love. There's really three primary. He's not talking about eros love here. He's talking about agape love. A love 
that is marked by unceasing care and service for the wife's entire well-being. And so husbands, pursue your wives. Pursue your wife. Pursue Jesus first and foremost. Pursue your wife. Date her. Care for her. Pursue her more than your job. Pursue her more than your sports team. Pursue her more than that extra round of golf you want to play or whatever. And I'm not saying those things are bad. Like, But like, make sure you're pursuing her first. Support your wife. And I don't just mean financially. That's a limited scope, right? That we, we don't live in this reality where it's like, hey, look, I, I, I take care of the finances, you take care of everything else. No, I don't believe that's what God's calling us to, right? What did you, like, serve your wife, support your wife. And so what that means, guys, is like, uh, like support her emotionally. And, and to do what that means, you're going to have to learn to be a listener and not simply a fixer. Right? You listen and you show empathy and you engage it. You make, not only that, like we've got to make time for it to where we say, hey, what's going on in your heart today? Like you should be able to, like, you should know your wife in such a way that when you see her demeanor, you should be able to ask a question, hey, what's going on? How was your day? Not only that, but like, if you're going to do that, like, guess what? You have emotions too. And you need to share them. This is what's going on in my heart and life. This is what's happening. Like, tell them how much you love them. Show them how much. But again, more than all of this, pursue Jesus. And if you want to be the husband God's called you to, pursue Jesus. Spend time with Jesus. And guess what? Pray for your wife daily. Like, are you praying for your wife daily? The wife's saying for you, like, are you praying for your husband daily? I mean, that kind of hit me because, man, there's days like I don't. I believe doing this, living in this way, leads you to not be harsh with her. That word for harsh is bitterness. For you are daily submitting yourself to the will of the Father and laying down your selfish desires so that you might what? So you might love her well. To this, I'll say one more thing. I think it's worth noting that in both of these calls, neither is contingent on the other. And yet, I believe that the gospel is displayed and marriages flourish in deeply reciprocal ways when the wife submits to her husband alongside a husband who is sacrificially loving their wives. And guess what? That is two radical calls for our day and age that aren't being met that we should display. Because guess what? It's worth displaying to others. When you said I do, however many years ago it was 
It wasn't just, it's the same with the gospel, right? Like, it's not like I, did, I needed the gospel whenever I accepted Jesus and now it just kind of, no, you need it just as much today as you did yesterday and will tomorrow in your marriage when you said your vows. It wasn't just for that one day and then you just said, all right, we're just kicking it the rest of the time, right? No, it's like daily I'm called to this. And so that's household mark number one. And another thing I'll say today, if you're a single person in the room, like don't just discount and, and, and just brandish over this, right? Like wherever you find yourself, like we, we don't want to discount different parts of God's word because maybe we're not in the midst of it right then. What I would say for you is, man, if you're single in the room, that you would just begin to pray like if it would be God's will, that you would prepare yourself and that person but also that you would use this time to say, man, that you would pray for other marriages in this church. And so that's household mark number one. Let's look at number two, which is a call to children, children and parents by reading verses 20 and 21. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. All right, so following the call of first priority in your household. And again, let me just say, just we're moving into children and parenting. Let me say it again. Marriage is your first priority. And guess what? Like your kids should know that. I tell my kids all the time, Piper, you're my favorite Piper in the world. Jude, you're my favorite Jude in the world. James, you're my favorite James in the world. When this baby girl is born, I'm like, you're my favorite, whatever your name is in the world, right? But what we tell, but guess what? My, your mother... My wife, like, she's my number one. Does it discount how much I love my children? No. But I, I want them to know I'm after, like, I'm after Jesus first and foremost. But, man, I'm after, I'm going after your mother. Don't, I repeat, do not set up your marriage through the lives of your children. They can't and never were meant to bear that weight. And guess what? They make crummy gods that will fail you. And your marriage. And so Paul moves to the children parent dynamic by calling. He says, children, obey. Which again, that's a stronger language than submit that we just looked at in the previous verses. He says, obey their parents in everything. Can I get an amen? Right? And can I get an amen that the struggle is real? Right? But man, may we sit for a moment in the motivation for our reasoning for obedience. In your home, why do you call kids to obedience if you do call them to it? And I believe for most, if we're honest, we call our kids to obey for the delight and pleasure of self. Can I just get some peace and quiet? But look at the call to children up front. And our children are to obey in everything according to God's Word. It's not so that we might be pleased in self, but so that they might what? They might please the Lord. I believe we have to get that straight so that we parent well and disciple our kids accordingly. But again, we do see that children are to obey their parents in everything because it pleases the Lord. You see, fullness of obedience is the same call that God has given to His people For as God's children, what are we called to? We're called to obey the commands of the Lord. 
in everything literally means in everything. But it's not simply mechanical obedience in view here. No, Paul again understands that God is not simply after our external performance. He is after the heart. Therefore, just as much as obedience and action matters, the attitude of the heart in obedience matters just as much. You see, the call is for a heart of love and obedience that flows from hearts that understand and have been transformed by the full obedience of Jesus towards His Father. We're going to get to in a minute in terms of discipleship, but our job is to point our kids over and over and over again in the midst of their victory and their failure that Jesus is the only one that obeyed perfectly. He's the standard, but He's also the sacrifice that brings their redemption. Again, the focus is that obedience pleases the Lord. And this, this leads us then to a call for parents who were told not to provoke their kids to discouragement. You see, while y'all, Paul uses the term father here in the text, it's like this call could be for both parents. And so, what as parents, what are we called to? Well, I believe we're called to three things according to the text. We're called to disciple We're called to discipline and we're called to encourage and not discourage. So we're first called to disciple. As parents, you've been given the primary responsibility of discipling your children. We say it here all the time. Center Church is meant to be a supplement and an avenue of empowering discipleship taking place in the home. Because parents are the primary disciplers of their children. If you're a parent, you are the primary discipler of your children. You are responsible to lead your children. They are not another's responsibility. And when parents advocate that role, problems arise both in the home and outside of it. What Paul is presenting here and in texts like Ephesians 6 is the biblical call of parenting through discipleship. And so the way we do that, there's two primary avenues I believe we do that in. First, we model it. And then second, we lead. So this is how we model you disciple your children by modeling what it looks like to be a disciple. Guess what? If you, if you want to disciple your children, man, the greatest, like, model, show them what it looks like. And so what that means is like, if you long for your kids to be in God's Word, are you in God's Word? Get in the Word. And not only get in the Word, like, talk about it. Let it be part of conversation in your home. Along with that, pray for your kids daily. Another thing that you can model is, man, like repent when you mess up. Not just to God, but go to them and say, hey, I need forgiveness for this. I messed up. I blew up in anger. I discouraged you, right? Be quick to forgive. Model it by loving others, your spouse first, in ways that proclaim the gospel. Show them, model for them what it means to live a life of sacrifice in light of Jesus' ultimate sacrifice. Which, and Susie, you model how you sacrifice finances for the glory of God. How you sacrifice your time for the glory of God and your kingdom, His kingdom. That you, one of the great things you can model for your kids is, man, that, you know, we, we, we gather on Sundays because that's what we do. Because it's important to the kingdom. It's important that we gather together and worship. 
Next, you lead. We disciple your children by leading them in the manner you seek to model. So guess what? Proclaim the gospel to your kids. Don't just assume they know it and don't expect someone else to do it. Read the Bible with them and talk about it. They catch on to a whole lot more than you think, right? And if you need a place to start, get a Jesus Storybook Bible. It'll wreck you just as much as it'll wreck them, right? You'll both maybe be crying by the end of it. Pray with your kids. Don't just pray for your kids. Pray with your kids. When the need arises, don't just tell them, hey, we'll go fix it. This way. Maybe stop and say, hey, what does God's word say? And then let's pray about that. A delight and struggle in our house is mealtime because it's when we get started, someone different in the house gets to pray every night. And man, sometimes like it's a delight to listen to. Other times there's some discipline and discipleship that goes along. We'll get to discipline in a minute. But uh, there's that. But then they're arguing with one another. No, we were out, we were out of town last night and it was my night to pray. I get to pray tonight. And, and so like, but we want to set that like, cause we want to lead them in that. Just as you were called to repent and forgive and love others, call them to repent, forgive, and love others in ways that proclaim the gospel. And guess what? Explain the why behind it along the way. I'll say one more thing to, in terms of like the way you lead them. is like your kids, parents, your kids are and will be discipled by someone or something. Get out in front of it and engage as their primary disciplers. And guess what? Tell them that you are. My job as your dad is to disciple you. And, and as scriptures say to man, direct you in the ways of the Lord. But also in that, guess what? My job as a parent is to set boundaries for you. And so social media, we set boundaries and you may not like it, Right? My kids all the time, they're like, well, they watch this movie. My friend watched this movie. I'm like, yeah, we're not doing that. They, they have this, and, I, and I'm sorry. We're going to live differently. And in living differently, it's, it's for freedom's sake, not for enslavement. Now, they might have trouble seeing that, but we do too at times. So we disciple our kids. Next, we're called to, as we're called to discipline. You see, as parents, part of discipleship is correction and discipline because it is necessary to teach right from wrong while also modeling to them the Word of God where we find in Hebrews 12 that He corrects and disciplines those He loves. Now what this does not give us license to is discipline in a manner that promotes self. That that it's discipline that that is corrective anger, that is impatience, that is verbal accosting, or in a physical nature that is outside the bounds of our calling. You see, where I believe we miss it is oftentimes in our parenting, we discipline our children void of any kind of gospel-centered discipleship. What I mean by that is in seeking to stop their sinful behavior, we go after surface level behavior modification rather than going after their hearts. Because guess what? I can get in my mind that if I do that, I'm going to get a spank in. But guess what? It doesn't change my heart for wanting to do that and then maybe acting on it in secret later. You've got to go after their heart. 
parents, discipline void of discipleship is both lazy and sinful. If we are to train our kids up in the instruction of the Lord, discipleship must come alongside discipline. And again, the struggle's real, right? Because I'm tired. And I don't like, like, I don't want to have to like debate one more thing or just tell them for the millionth time that when you put your face in the dog's face, it bites you, right? We're tired of gluing the ears together in our house, but we do it. You see, we often seek discipline void of discipleship as a way to keep peace and make ourselves feel and look good to others. When actually we've been called to slow down and lead our kids to the cross of Christ, cross of Christ over and over again in their failure so that they might see the grace and love of the one who took our sin upon himself and received the ultimate discipline we deserved. Man, today, like if you're sitting there and you're wrestling with it, maybe today, like you need to repent of some uh, dis- discipline void of discipleship. And I, like me, oh, that we would repent, that we would model, that we would lead. And guess what? And I'll say, we're going to say this at the end too, that the, the church, the context of the local church is, man, is so key for that because we learn from one another. We pray for one another. And so this leads into the final call for parents is we are to encourage our kids by not discouraging our kids. The terms here for discouragement relates to exasperation and describes overbearing parenting that leads to frustration and pushes our children away rather than bringing them near. So here's a few examples, I believe, when we do this. This is not exhausted by any means. When you create the unrealistic expectation of perfection in the lives of your child or children. When you berate them for the tiniest misstep. Guess what? Like I realize, like kids, kids are sinners and so they get out of line, but kids are also kids. Right? Kids are also kids and so man we probably like there are many moments we that that kyle just needs to lighten up when you're constantly picking at their failures and yet never encouraging their victories when your most common response to your kids is what they can do to get better at rather than what they did well Giving them that look of disappointment as a quick fix rather than drawing them in and holding them close when they fail. My mom was really good at the look. And it worked. And I'm pretty proficient myself. But it's not always helpful. In public it works. You know, it's like, hey. You know, let's get get in line. But sometimes I use it when I shouldn't. And lastly, calling them to perform for our approval, even though we would never say that they needed to earn it. You can say just as much by not saying anything, right? You see, these things exasperate and discourage our kids, and these are the things that we have to repent and turn from. But in doing so, we must learn what it means to turn to encouragement. Now, now I believe there's boundaries there, right? Like, I'm not talking about flattery. Like, your kid isn't perfect, and they aren't the best at everything, okay? If you're just hearing that for the first time, there it is. Your kid's not perfect, and they aren't the best at everything. They do wrong, 
I see it. Right? I see the wrong your kids do. You see the wrong mine do, right? Like, that's why we're the church. You know, it's like, hey, like, we see it and we say, okay, there's some discipleship that needs to happen. It may be a little discipline. But guess what? Like, our kids need to feel encouraged in their wins. But I think it, like they need to be encouraged by their wins, even in the midst of that, in, in light of the gospel. That when they win, we point them to Jesus and say, hey, you're, uh, man, I'm, we celebrate what you did, but we also, like, don't live into that. If you see them living into it and that's where they find out, no, point them to Jesus. He's better. But also, they need to be encouraged by the gospel and their failures. You and I need to seek ways to encourage our kids. I don't know about you, but I feel like I could have used more of it as a kid, right? You know, like uh, some of my time in counseling uh, is because of that, you know. Maybe you feel the same. But while we all could have used more of it, let's be the change now. Maybe you're sitting here you're like, well, my kids are already out of the house and I, maybe I messed them up eternally or what? No, no, like God's gracious. Like, oh, start now. Who cares if they're 40, 50 years old? Like, who cares? Like, if they, like, start now. Just call them. Up. You want to freak them out, maybe? Just call them up and say, hey, this is why I love you. This is why I'm encouraged by you. Click. They will sit on that for a month, right? Like, not know what to do with it. Then you just do it again. Maybe you even own up to it. Hey, this is where I struggle because, man, I, maybe I didn't get enough of that as a kid. We were in a quip a couple weeks ago and Michael Anconi said something that I believe fits well as I close. He says, how do you know if someone needs encouragement? If they're breathing, they need encouragement. We we're like, that's it, right? One of the most true statements I've ever heard. The first of which is the gospel is only the gospel. Right? Or only the gospel is the gospel, right? Like, that's it. If they're breathing, what do they need? They need encouragement. Like, your kids, you, like, if they're breathing, they need it. And so as we sit here today, like, how do we respond to a text like this? Well, the first thing I would say is do not run to perform. Do not run to shame. Run to the cross of Jesus. Repent. Cling to grace. His mercy is new. And guess what? No matter what it is, I love Joel 2.25, right? He restores the years the locusts have eaten. The reason we know this and the reason we run to Jesus is because He's the only one that brings redemption and He's the only one that transforms hearts and changes lives. He's the only one that brings hope. So run to Jesus today with all of it. Lay it at his feet. Next, I want to encourage you to reorient your view. Like, as it said earlier, seek Christ. Set your eyes upon him. Quit looking elsewhere. Maybe you need to take some time to reevaluate the health of your marriage or your parenting. Your discipleship and discipline and encouragement across the board. Take some time to reevaluate, but don't do it alone. One of the greatest things you can do is get the church involved in the midst of that. 
By just sharing, hey, here's where we're struggling right now. Will y'all pray for us? Or hey, going to someone and say, hey, man, I see like the life of your marriage or your parenting. Like, how, how do you go about that? And just ask questions. Be curious. And so I'm going to invite you to that today. I'm going to have Jeremy come back up. As he makes his way back up, and I want to invite you to a time of response where we respond to God's Word. To respond to this call to submission and sacrificial love. To obedience. To encouragement. And so I invite you as you do that, maybe take some time on, you know, just you in the Spirit of God and just ask God to, to move and maybe reveal something in your heart. Uh, but maybe you need to spend some time, like uh, maybe today you need to go to your, you need to sit with your spouse and, and do some repenting. Maybe today you need, to, you, you need to go to your kids and do some repenting. Maybe today you need to reevaluate some things and go to others and say, hey, we need help in this area. That's why we're here. And then I want to invite you to the act of uh, remembering perfect submission and great, great love that Jesus would give His life, submit fully to the will of the Father, even unto death. He would allow His blood to be poured out his body to be broken so that we might have life. I mean, today, if you don't know that life, then come, you can come talk to me. If there's someone in here today, you're like, man, I know that they know that life. Go talk to Hey, how do I, how do I get that? Like, that's what I want. But again, if you're a follower of Jesus, we invite you to come in remembrance, in faith, in thanksgiving that He's enough. And then in light of that, that you would go and live different. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, for even, uh, we, we thank you that, that your grace is greater, that your word is truer than any misconception, any brokenness, any baggage that we walk in here with. Whether it be about your word or uh, whether it be about how we understand and view self in light of your word. God, I pray for each heart here that, uh, that you would um, just reveal just your glory that, that, that you would reveal yourself in a mighty way. God, that, that we as a church would submit ourselves to you. In light of how you gave yourself, in light of the way that you love us, that we would, uh, God, I pray that our marriages would be strengthened because they would be built on uh, Colossians three eighteen and 19, that our parenting and our the way we disciple and discipline and encourage our children would be built on Colossians 3, 20 and 21. That we would not do it in our own strength. Now we say that we need you. Lord, you are the only one who brings hope and changes lives. So we ask that you do that now in Jesus' name. Amen.